Well, welcome, Fellowship Asheville. I am glad uh, we get to be together again. My name is Fred. I get to be the lead pastor here. And if I haven't met you yet, I would love to say hi uh, before you leave. So let's make sure and connect. And before I get into my message, real quick, I have a really fun announcement to make. And and for those of you who've been at Fellowship Asheville for uh, a few months, you may have seen we are in the process of uh, hiring a couple of positions. One of those is a full-time student director, FSM director, and the other is a part-time worship uh, assistant, and and we have uh, hired one of those, the full-time student director, full-time FSM director, and that is Nathan Fletcher, who's right here today. So Nathan, stand up so they can see you. That's Nathan. So uh, if you have a middle schooler or a high schooler, uh, he's your guy. All right, um, uh, and if you're a volunteer in student minute, uh, do what? Yeah, no, no, sit down, sit down, sit down, sit down. Yeah, you're good. Um, uh, so get a chance to meet him. Um, uh, if you want to get to know him better, um, his official start date is May 8th, and we are doing a potluck on uh, Wednesday night, May 10th, which really is kind of a meet and greet for him. And so bring some food, hang out, and spend some time with this great guy. We're really excited about what God is going to do in him and through him here at Fellowship with our students. So so welcome aboard, kind of. May 8th, welcome aboard. But until then, you're here. That's great. All right. Okay. Now, as we dive into our message today, uh, here's what I hope happens. I hope that as we go through, as Matt said, this, this, this part of the book of Acts where we see the Holy Spirit indwelling the people of God, here's what I hope happens. I hope that we not only uh, talk about the, the history of our faith in this, but that we also spend some time applying that truth to our own life. Because this is one of those things, the book of Acts is, a, is an interesting book to, to read and to go through and to preach from. Because in some ways, it's like preaching from a history book. Right? There are certain books in the Bible that are history. And so their job is to tell us what happened. And so the book of Acts, much of it is prescriptive. I mean, is descriptive. is telling us what happened. Some of it is prescriptive meaning that we can prescribe that truth into our own lives. And today is one of those where if you're doing a Venn diagram, we would be right in the overlap of those two circles, where we are right in the middle, where we get to see something that is descriptive and prescriptive to our own lives. And so I hope that we all leave this place more in line with the truth of, of Jesus Uh, and the truth of the Holy Spirit indwelling our lives, not only as a church, but as individuals. And so with that, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to tell you a a, a quick kind of intro and use a part of Jesus' teaching uh, to get to the point of what we're getting to today. So so imagine with me for a moment that we are uh, a whole bunch of, of, of people gathered together on a hillside, and this guy Jesus is about to teach. And so we're just there as casual observers, right? We're, we've hopped in our time machine. We go back and we're there. And here's what we would see. So imagine with me, uh, Jesus is about to speak. And in this crowd of people that are ready to hear Jesus speak are people who we know they are the disciples, right? They are the people that have been with Jesus, the men and women that have been following Jesus, listening to him teach, learning from him, shifting their lives to be in line with his. And so they're there. And then there's also this group of people there 
that are watching Jesus from a distance, kind of like, like we would be. We were there to observe, right? And so the, they see Jesus, they've seen him do miracles, and they are just waiting to see what else he's going to do. Is he the, the person that he claims to be? But then what we do is, is if our gaze kind of shifts over a little bit, we also see this, this group of people that are obviously very religious. right? They have got all the garb on. Right, they, they, we can tell they are the professional religious people. Their robes are clean and pressed. Their prayer shawls are extra long just to show how, how holy they are, just to show how righteous they are. If there, were, if there were anything that they could wear to show that, these folks have got that on. And we see them. Right? And so we see all these people there intermingled together and we're with them. And then all of a sudden Jesus stands up and he begins teaching. And we recognize his sermon because it's one of the most popular sermons. It begins with blessed are those. Right? And he talks about the poor. And he talks about the oppressed. And he talks about the hungry. And he talks about the grieving. And we watch the crowd and they're hanging on his every word. And and then he talks about this idea of loving your enemy. And to not judge others until you have judged yourself under an infinitely larger amount of scrutiny first. And so we see the reactions of the people and we see the disciples. If they were taking notes on their papyrus, they are doing it quickly, right? The observers are like, I think I could, I could follow this guy. But then we look over to the religious people, the holy people, the people that have, have all the garb on, and we see that they are growing more and more agitated, particularly as he talks about loving your enemy and to not judge others unless you have judged yourself first because, because the religious folks... The folks in the, in the clean robes, the, the folks that smell nice, the folks that aren't doing what, what, what sinners do, like they've made a life out of judging others. They've made a life out of separating the oppressed, and, and, and they've made a life, and, and a pretty uh, lucrative life at that, of making sure everybody knows that Rome is the enemy. And we are to do everything that we can to get them out of God's land. And so they've built this foundation of their life on on not loving their enemy and on judging others. And so as Jesus teaches on these things and, and, and raises the poor and the oppressed and the grieving and the needy and raises them to the status of people that are to be honored and to be cared for, they get more and more agitated. And they start murmuring among, them, among themselves and we're kind of close enough to hear what they're saying and the stuff that they're saying should never come out of a religious person's mouth. The stuff that they're saying, these religious leaders are saying, we need to kill this guy. As he's preaching about loving your enemy and not judging others, they are making plans to get rid of him. And then our attention goes back to Jesus. And he says this to them and to everybody listening. He says, for out... Of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. 
Out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. And the disciples, they're right on board. They've heard that. The observers say, okay, I get this. And the religious people all of a sudden get quiet. Because they've realized Jesus is talking to them. Because they look holy and righteous on the outside. But what's coming out of their mouth is evil. And Jesus' point is that the reason the words coming out of their mouth is evil is because their hearts are evil, even though they look holy on the outside. You see, what Jesus is saying is what's happening in here will eventually spill out of here, right? That what's bouncing around and bumping around in your soul will eventually spill out of your mouth. And they spoke badly about Jesus because in their hearts they didn't want to submit to him. And has this ever happened to you? You've, you've spoken something that you didn't mean to say, but the reason you didn't mean to say it is because the filter went down a little bit and what you said was actually what you think. Right? When Stacy and I were uh, preparing to get married some 25-ish years ago, um, uh, we were, you know, planning a wedding, which is a whole lot of work, isn't it? Right? Um, and we had told the, the bridesmaids, Stacy had told the bridesmaids that, you know, because we were doing kind of a uh, late afternoon, evening wedding, that the bridesmaids' dresses were going to be black because... We really wanted them. Yeah, that way y'all can get whatever dress you want. You can wear it again. That's always what they say. You can wear it again. <laughs> right? You never get to. But you could. You could. We thought this, this gives them the best case scenario. Right? It's a black dress. It can be any black dress they want. Surely they'll pick something they can wear again. And so we were talking to my aunt. And I'm sure y'all have aunts or uncles like this. That, that whatever box exists in most people where the thoughts in your head and soul go into before they come out of your mouth, they don't have one of those. <laughs> right? And so uh, she, what we were telling, she was like, oh, what colors are the bridesmaids' dresses? And Stacy goes, oh, they're going to be black. And she went, black? Oh, that'll be real pretty. <laughs> right? Just like that. Because she caught herself, right? <laughs> she caught herself. Right? Have you ever been in that situation where what's in your heart comes out of your mouth Right? And it revealed more about what's in your heart than you intended. Right? According to Jesus, what we think is heard through our words. And so the question to us that I want to propose now, and we're going to come back to it in a little bit, is what do our words say about us? Right? What do our words as a church say about us? What do your words say about you? Right? One of the vision statements we have here at Fellowship is that um, as a group of people, we will speak of Jesus as if he's real because he is. And we will speak of him as a person that is an integral part of our lives. Right? Because here's what we know as a church. If you're speaking of Jesus as a real 
Spirit of God in your life, as the real presence of God in your life, as part of your regular conversation, it's only because Jesus is a real presence in your soul and in your heart. And so it flows out of your mouth. And see, as a church, we want our words and comments and sermons and songs to be about Jesus. Why? Because his resurrection changed everything. Why wouldn't he be part of our conversation? Why wouldn't he be part of our services? And if you find yourself kind of dwelling on this, then then I think today's message will be right up your alley. And if you want Jesus' presence and his name to be more infused in your words and in your soul, then turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Right? Because here's what we're going to do. We're going to do Acts chapter 2. I realize I just did the slide wrong. We're, not, we're actually going to cover more than one verse today. We're going to do Acts chapter 2 verses 1 through 13 is, the, is what, what I forgot to put on here. Um, so we're going to do chapters, uh, chapter 2 verses 1 through 13. As you're turning there, uh, we are doing this little mini-series after Easter uh, called And Then because we want to talk about what happened after the resurrection. Because the resurrection, according to Paul, and, and, and we believe Paul because he, he, he's one of the authors of the Word of God, that, that the resurrection is the core of our faith. Without the resurrection, and we are fools, is what he says. And so without the resurrection, um, uh, we should be out on a trail somewhere today. But because of the resurrection, we can gather here. And so with that in mind, we felt kind of short-sighted to just stop on Easter about the resurrection. And so we've talked about the ascension today. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. And then we're going to spend a couple more weeks. Matt's going to come and preach on what happened after the Holy Spirit indwelled the people of God. And what, we're going to, what we've seen is we've seen Jesus talk about this Holy Spirit and talk about this promise of the Holy Spirit coming. And today we're going to see that promise fulfilled. And, and through that promise, how we can have more of Jesus in our soul and in our words. And so let's look at Acts chapter 2, verse 1. It says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all gathered together in one place. Now, Pentecost uh, happens 50 days after the Passover. So this is 50 days after the, the resurrection. And the disciples of Jesus were all gathered in one place place. And, and Pentecost is this real interesting um, uh, celebration on the Jewish calendar because it celebrates two different things. It celebrates when the harvest is over. So there's a feast and it's, and it's fun and, and it's lively, but it also celebrates uh, the day that Moses, that God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses. And so it's both of these things that, that are celebrated uh, during Pentecost. It's, it's, it's the, the fact that we can be grateful for, to God for, for giving us this harvest, this providing for us this way, and we can be grateful for, to God because of his presence and is with us. And here's what I mean by that. If we were back in, in Jesus' time and hearing him speak on the mountain and we were to ask the Jews that were present there, hey, where is the presence of God? They would say, oh, it's easy. His presence is in one of two places. It is either in the temple where the ark is, that's where his presence dwells, and it is in the word of God. It is in the Torah. And both of those things are considered the presence of God. And so, 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 
as they're gathering together for Pentecost, it's not just this looking back and thanking God for his provision. It is actually thanking God for his presence with the people of God by loving the people of God so much that he gave them the commandments of God. He gave them the word of God. And so Pentecost was the day that the people of God celebrated their relationship with God. The people of God celebrating their relationship with God is what Pentecost is. And it also meant that if you were a Jewish person, and you, you, no matter where you lived, you tried to make your way to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost there. Right? And so, so Jerusalem became this, this, this hub of, of all different people from all different places that worship God, gathering together to celebrate uh, the, the presence of God. And so what we see here is we see these people are waiting. These followers of Jesus are waiting for this promise to be fulfilled from God. And, and, and no matter where these people of God lived, outside of these people waiting on Jesus' promise were these people from all other, all other tribes and all, over, all other nations. And in the midst of that, this happens. Look at verse 2. It says, And suddenly they came, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were seating, sit, sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. So, so in this place where they are gathered, in this moment, as they were waiting and celebrating their relationship with God on this day that the nation of Israel did, did that, suddenly this, this sound that sounded like wind filled the space that they were in. And what looked like little tongues of fire, little, little candlelights of fire rested above each person in the room, right? And, and, and I want to stress a phrase that, that Luke says here because I don't want to get lost in this amazing moment that, yes, the Spirit of God filled and indwelled the people of God, but each little, little flame of fire rested above each person, that it wasn't just an us, it was a me filling. It wasn't just a group of people being filled with the Holy Spirit. It was individuals being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now remember what I said. If you were to ask a Jewish person where the, where the presence of God resided, they would say the Torah, the law. They would also say the temple. And here's what's interesting. In the scriptures, wind represents the power of God and fire represents the purifying, refinement, refining nature of God. And in this moment, the presence and the power of God is resting on the people of God. So they're there celebrating the presence of God, celebrating the fact that, that God has given the law to his people people as, as his very presence. And then all of a sudden, God's presence fills them. And so this idea of where is the presence of God? Where is the presence of God? Is it, is it in the law? Is it in the temple? No, it is with us right here, right now. Look at verse 4. It says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And so what's happening to them on the outside, this wind and this fire is showing something that's happening on the inside. And what's inside is going to change what they say. It's going to change the words that come out of their mouths because they're going to begin, spoiler alert, they're going to begin to speak in different languages. And why do you think they're doing that? Because outside their door and outside their window are people from every nation, Right? You see, each of them is filled with the Holy Spirit. And what's, what's interesting, what, do you know what the word fill means? 
It means to fill up, <laughs> right? Like, like pretty accurate translation on this. It can also mean to be fulfilled because the promise is being fulfilled. But the most common translation is, is fill means fill, to fill up, right? Like, like they are being filled up with the, the Holy Spirit. But Luke doesn't stop here because here's what's interesting. I would be like, all right, y'all, we are done. Act, the book of Acts is over, right? The promise has come. But what Luke wants us to do is he wants us to see more about the filling of the Holy Spirit because he wants us to see the why of the Holy Spirit. And y'all, that question of why is a very powerful question, right? Why did the Holy Spirit come, right? What's the why behind the Holy Spirit? Is it so they can skip from Spanish 1 to Spanish 5? Right? And speak a different language? No. There's more to it than that. Because remember, what we see on the outside is a picture of what's happening on the, on the inside with them. And fire on the outside shows, shows this, this change and this, this refinement on the inside. Right, They have converted to Jesus. They believe Jesus is their Messiah. There has been this change. And wind shows power. And now the Holy Spirit is filling them with power to do something. And, and let's see the why. Verse 5. Verse 5 says this, and they were, let's see, well, the rest of verse 4 says, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And remember, this is Pentecost. There's people there from every nation, right? I love baby sounds. I know y'all online can't hear that, but it's adorable. It's adorable. All right. Devout Jews from every nation there, speaking different languages. Remember, we're looking for the why, and it says this. And as this sound of the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Right, And so now they, the, the Spirit has come, and these, and these people are speaking different languages, languages then different than the ones that they come in, and the people from the outside begin to hear this. And they begin to hear their language being spoken, right? Where it wasn't before, it is now. And they begin to get curious. And then, and then here's what Luke wants us to know. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all those who are speaking Galileans? Y'all, Galileans is like the term for redneck, right? It would be like if you had Jeff Foxworthy here, right? And, and, and you had Prince William here, and you gave them the same paragraph to read, right? Prince William would be the Roman, highly educated, perfect English. Jeff Foxworthy would be the Galilean, right? And, and Galileans, because they're considered kind of the, the, the lower class, they're really not known for their proper use of the language, much less their proper use of all kinds of languages. Right? And Luke wants us to know that these people that God empowered are not the well-to-dos. They are the people that Jesus talked about, the oppressed, the grieving, the needy. And the poor, the people that didn't have a high education, now they're speaking in other languages. Not because of what they've done, but because of who has filled them. Because the Holy Spirit has filled them. And look at verse 8. And they said, And how is it that we hear each of us 
in his own native language. Right? So not only were they random languages, they were the, the language that each person there got to hear. And so you can imagine this murmuring going on and your ears kind of listening. And all of a sudden you hear your dialect of Egyptian spoken by that person over there in the corner. Right? And you're like, wait, wait, wait. No, that, it's just my village that speaks that. That's not even, like if I were to go uh, up and down the Nile, I would hear different dialects. The only people who use those words are the people from my village. And you're speaking it. How, how is this possible? And then Luke tells us, I'm not going to read these because y'all just trust me. There are 15 different nations represented here. And Luke says that they were speaking all different kinds of languages. And he lists 15 of the ones that, that he had been told about. Because Luke wasn't there, right? Like he's, he, he comes on the scene a little bit later. But what's the, the why behind this? Like, what are they saying? Are they saying, are they saying like, hey, how are you? Um, you know, those phrases that we learned in the first semester of language. What is your name? Right? How many years do you possess? Right? Like, 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 they're not doing that. There is a why behind what they're saying. So jump down to, to verse 11. If you look at the second half of verse 11, it says, We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. So what were they hearing in their own language? The mighty works of God. That's what was coming out of their mouth. And, and for us, it's so easy to get, to get stuck on the fact that, oh man, they were speaking different languages. Well, I want to speak a different language. You know, like I want to do this. But we miss the why. The why was so that all those nations, all those people standing right outside their door could hear them talk about the mighty works of God. That they could hear about this Jesus who claimed to be the Messiah, who did miracles with, with all different kinds of people, who spoke about the very character of God and then was crucified and then was resurrected from the dead just to prove that everything he said and everything he did verified him as the Messiah of God. And they were saying that in all those 15 different languages and probably even more. That's the why behind the power of the Holy Spirit, behind the filling of the Holy Spirit, was so that they could speak to anybody and everybody about the works of God, that they could speak about Jesus. And look, look at their response to this. Verse 12, it says, and they were all, and all were amazed and perplexed. And I love that Luke says all. You know who else was amazed and perplexed? The people speaking the different languages. Because you know what the translation for all is? All. <laughs> right? It doesn't mean they were there like, oh, it's about time this promise is fulfilled. Now we can go do our thing. No, they were like, oh my gosh. What is this coming out of my mouth? Right? Everyone was amazed. All were amazed and perplexed. But then some of them were saying, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, 
they are filled with new wine. Now, I asked a, uh, a winemaker about this idea of new wine and old wine and all this stuff because I grew up spiritually in a tradition where drinking alcohol was forbidden and um, new wine was translated as grape juice. <laughs> not kidding, not kidding. And so I asked a winemaker, I was like, is that true? Is new wine grape juice? He's like, no, 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 it's actually just the opposite. Which this is what helps make sense of, of Jesus going to a wedding. Because he said, he said, when wine is produced, new wine is more like a port. It has to have a 21 at least percent alcohol to be able to kill all the bacteria. And so new wine means that it's actually really, really strong. And so, so older wine, you know, loses some of that because what they'll do is they'll dilute it with water, particularly as people drink it. And, and so, because, you know, you don't want to be drinking port every day, right? Port is, it, it'll, it'll, it'll get you pretty drunk pretty quick, right? Which when Jesus was at the wine, remember they, they told the winemaker when Jesus turned the water into wine, they said, oh, you saved the best for last. Because what they would do at big parties is start off with it really strong and then water it down as the party went on, hoping that people wouldn't notice and all of a sudden start just kind of sobering up, right? But Jesus made new wine at the end. He made the strong stuff, which made the host look like a genius. Because that's what Jesus does, is he fills us and and uses us. And he lets us look good so that we can return that glory to him. And they're sitting there going, y'all, these people must be drunk. And I'm not mean, I don't mean drunk on the two-buck chuck from Trader Joe's. They got the fancy bottle. Right? Oh, y'all know. <laughs> Please. I know who I'm talking to. All right? They, they've got the fancy stuff. Right? And so some people heard this and were amazed and some were perplexed. And the perplexed people were going, what does this mean? And, and some of them were going, y'all are crazy drunk. And so the question I want to return back to us is what do our words say about us? What do your words say about you? What, is, what comes out of your mouth or what doesn't come out of your mouth? What does come out of your mouth say about what's going on in your heart and in your soul? Well, what did we see? We saw the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, that part of the Trinity of God, God the Father, uh, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. We saw the Holy Spirit fill the people of God just like Jesus said they would. We saw the Spirit of God fill each person in that room, just like Jesus said they would. And so we saw the Spirit of God empower the people of God, and we don't stop there. We saw the Spirit of God empower the people of God for a very important reason. Why? To declare the works of God. When Jesus is on your lips, when Jesus is part of your conversation, you are declaring the works of God because you are saying what Jesus has done, not what you've done. Because he is in your soul. And so let's move this information to transformation. And our, and our question, what do our words say about us? Church, here's what I pray is true about each of us. Is that if you are listening in this place or you are watching online, I pray what is true about you and what is true about me and what is true about us is that the Holy Spirit empowers us. I pray that the Holy Spirit empowers us you. 
Right? Because notice, there were all these people in the scene that Luke is showing us. People gathered together who followed Jesus, waiting for Jesus' promise to be fulfilled. And then there were those on the outside passing by. And here's what I know. Any Sunday that I stand up here and preach, I have got people that are coming together to hear the promises of Jesus, to wait for those promises to be fulfilled in their lives. And there are also people that are outside the room spiritually, just walking by. And my question for you is, where are you? Are you in the room with, with the people of God? Where are you spiritually? Are you in the room with the people of God? Or are you a passerby on the street who all of a sudden, maybe today, hears your language being spoken? And if that's you, the question is, how do you respond to that? Are you the person that says, why is this happening? Why are they speaking my language? Or are you a person that's going to keep on walking and say, y'all, they are drunk crazy? Because here's what I'd ask you to do. Be the person that comes in the room. Be the person that says yes to Jesus. And let the Holy Spirit fill you the way he filled them. You see, saying yes to Jesus means trusting the words and the promises of Jesus. That in his death and resurrection, he has taken away the power of sin in your life and the penalty of sin in your life. So that you can have this good, right, and personal relationship with the God who loves you and the God who made you and the God who knows you and the God that doesn't just love you, but the God who actually likes you. That God. That saying yes to Jesus is the, is, is the way to have a relationship with that God. And for those of us who have done that, have we opened up our theology, have we opened up our mind and soul to the power of the Holy Spirit in us? Right? Because if you've said yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit is in you. Not just in us, but in you. And so do you let the Spirit of God, do you let the Holy Spirit empower you? When you read your Bible, do you pause and say, God, show me what I need to see today. Show me what I need to believe today because I don't. Show me where I've been wrong, where I think that I'm right. Convict me, encourage me, rebuke me, strengthen me, Spirit. Would you do that? When you pray, do you take time to listen to the Spirit's voice? Because that's what we're about to do. We're going to have some time of silence. And here's what I want you to do. Like, like if, 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 if you believe this is true, and you believe when you say yes to Jesus, just like them, you are empowered with the Holy Spirit. Which, which is true, not just here, but as you read the rest of the New Testament. That is, that is a truth that continues to come up. Is that the people of God, you, us, we have the Spirit of God in us. That we are sealed, sealed with the Holy Spirit. And so if that's true, if the presence of God is in you, do you believe that he speaks to you? a great time to respond. Church, do you believe that the Spirit of God speaks to you? Not just through His Bible, but with His voice to you.
Oswald, uh, no, not Oswald, uh, uh, Tozier, A.W. Tozier, says that learning to hear the Holy Spirit's voice starts like two ships that are on a foggy night together. And you can hear a bell in the distance. And you begin to listen to it. And as you get closer and closer, it begins to come more and more clear. And so, yes, we can hear the Spirit of God, sometimes more clearly than others, and sometimes, sometimes it's just a really good cup of coffee, and we have to learn to discern the difference, right? That's called spiritual maturity. That's called sanctification. But the fact that we believe the Spirit of God can speak to us means that He can speak to you right now in this place. And I want to give the Spirit of God, space to do that. And so let's just close our eyes. I'll pray real quick for us. And then we're just going to sit in silence and just let God speak through his Holy Spirit to you individually. Jesus, you promised to send the Holy Spirit and we see in your history book that you did. And we see as we read this living and active and breathing word of God that your spirit continues to dwell in the people of God. That people, when they say yes to Jesus, continue to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? So that we can declare the works of God. And so, Jesus, I pray that you would... You, you would Give us space to hear your Holy Spirit right now. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak words of truth to those with ears and, and, and hearts open to hear you. That, you would, that the Holy Spirit, that you would, you, would, you would encourage us where we need encouragement and convict us where we need conviction. And that we would speak your name and glory to you. And so as we enter this time of silence, I ask you to just listen to God. And to make space to hear his voice. Do you have something that's been lingering in your soul for a little bit? And maybe the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is bringing that back up to you. Maybe a conversation you need to have or a habit that needs to be stopped or a discipline that needs to be started. Maybe it was a word of encouragement. Maybe it's just a word of his presence and love. Of his immense love for you and his immense love with you. You see, as the Holy Spirit speaks, as a church, let's trust him and go and declare his works to each other 
and declare his works to those who are looking on from a distance. Jesus, would you let this be true of us? In Christ's name I pray, amen.